This is your pal Daffy Duck, and you're watching. You're watching. We're watching. You're watching Fanboy. 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 Fanboy, etc. Fanboy Nation. Dot, I assume Tom. I know there's been a million puns with these guys being interviewed about getting off the crazy train or, you know, barking at the moon or, you know, this is definitely not a quiet riot type situation. But I get to talk to Tracy Guns and Andre Rice about their new documentary regarding Randy Rhodes. Gentlemen, it is a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. Dude, the pleasure is all mine. Reflections of a guitar icon. This documentary made me tear up and I don't even do it that, you know, I don't even cry that often, but like right. you fully humanized Randy Rhodes because we've almost elevated him to this mythical status that here's some guy that was really just a kid born in Santa Monica that grew up in Burbank that outrocked his, his music teacher. Amazing. Right. Nice story. Yeah. What is, you know, there are people like Randy that exist in a period of time that create just a legacy beyond compare you know is that something that we can say about randy as a whole rather than somebody you know like him kurt cobain jim morrison janice joplin you know they existed in this window of time that's completely immortalized uh that's right you know how does that feel as a musician to to realize that this guy's career literally lasted maybe, let's say, five years total from Quiet Riot to Ozzy. Yet yeah. here we are, 40-plus years later, still talking about that legacy. Right, right. I mean, because, you know, it's like like Hendrix, you know, the same thing. It's like you alter the sound of life in such an extreme way that's so pleasing. And then he leaves you with it. You know, he's not there to continue. You know, it's like, here's this alteration of, you know, molecules and and vibrations, really. I mean, when it comes down to it, you know, we're just human, you know. And the fact that we're intelligent means that we process it and we can verbalize what it is that he did, right? But if we couldn't do that, we would still love it, right? Because it's a feeling, it's an emotion, and it had an impact on generations now, right? 40, 40 years, right? Four generations. And, um, in an early interview, someone asked about <clears throat> how that influence has kind of streamed through and it continues to stream through. And it really does because, you know, within, you know, modern classical influence metal, you know, some of these guys don't even realize that they are influenced by Randy Rhodes because Randy Rhodes really glued blues and classical and rock together. Better than anybody. And just, yeah, Tracy, I'm not going to lie to you, man. I was a little scared when, when I saw that your name was the narrator because sometimes they get a musician to narrate something and it sounds very mechanical when the read goes through and you are absolutely (laughs) incredible as the narrator. Like I could feel your passion in this uh, as it went through and you know and we're not knocking anything i mean come on tracy guns la guns guns and roses like you have a you have a career that that spans 35 plus years as well so like to see what randy did 40 years ago and see what you continue to do like Mm -hmm. obviously makes it great for us especially since you're touring and you're in europe right now yeah well i I live here but Mm -hmm. um but yeah i got touring coming up big time after you know two years off my god um yeah, you know, the thing is, 
that inspiration, you know, Randy was one of those guys that if you were lucky enough to, to obsess over him, it's a lifetime worth of inspiration. It's a lifetime of writing music and always, what would Randy do? You know, same as like, what would Paige do? Same thing, you know, and it's just amazing how, like, let's put it in, in here's a perspective for you. Had Ozzy not got Randy and got a contemporary, Ozzy could have very much been in danger of becoming a, a dinosaur right then, but he didn't, and it's because of Randy Rose. Randy Rose came in, took all the 70s and all that stuff, and really modernized it and really brought a new sound that was a gift for Ozzy, right? You know, that's the difference, you know, right there. That's all the proof you need of how much power that this little guy, you know, with his big old guitar, his big old sound, changed everything. And people always argue it. And I don't care what their argument is. It's a fact. And that's just the way it is. You know, before we move on to the rest of the documentary, Andre, I want to ask you and I want to ask Tracy this. You know, there was I, I got to meet Frankie and the rest of Quiet Riot a couple of years ago when they had their documentary at the Newport Beach Film yeah. Festival. And it seems that there is that Quiet Riot curse. You know, we lost, you know, Randy left to go with Ozzy. We lose Randy. Kevin passes away. Frankie passes away. You know. The band signed probably the worst deal in rock and roll history. Yeah. You know, they're like that name quiet riot really has more significance than just a band name, but to the whole essence of the entire group, you know, yeah. and I know musicians and athletes have that, you know, superstition uh, yeah. of things going wrong or right. And, you know, one click and then it's all over. What is it about that mystique of that superstition that is there really a quiet riot curse or is it just something we attribute to it for the legacy uh, of all the uh, players in the game? I do believe on my end, I believe bands can be cursed. I think it can happen. I've experienced it. Uh, and so <laughs> that being said, you know, one thing though, you got to keep in mind, which is pretty amazing about the quiet riot story is, uh, you know, four years later, they have some, five years later, they have some big hits and maybe their record deal sucked and there's a lot of things, but still they broke through. That's pretty incredible. So I don't know if that's really a curse. Yes. And I, I know Regina very well, who did the Quiet Riot doc and I got to know Frankie and it's terribly tragic what happened. Um, but I mean, keep, keep a lot of bands don't even break through to the point that they can tour consistently. And today they're, you know, still or up until a point they're touring and making a living. So I don't know if that's a curse. I'll leave it at that. Okay. I think what I think is, is that there's a balance in life period, you know, that, that, you know, with, it's like when you meet somebody that's so nice on the outside, they can be so dark on the inside or someone that's so angry seeming on the outside, but they're a very kind person inside also comes with feast and famine, right? You know, you're, you're starving for this many years and then you're fat for this many years. And the quiet riots, a good example of something that really, 
they stuck with it. Kevin stuck with it. They put out an album finally that was the first number one heavy metal record. Yeah, know. that's pretty cool. Um, they had a massive success. Um, and then it, it equalized out, you know, so there's that balance there, but you know, there always seems to be a balance, you know, Hendrix, bam, and then bam, and then John Bonham dies, and then, you know, and I think the same goes in business or in life cycles, you know, they, they say that you're, that you only get a certain amount of heartbeats, you know, and that determines the, the length of your life, you know, and so, you know, natural causes, 87 years old. But if you did a bunch of this and that and the other and you sped your heart up for a bunch of years, well, die younger. You know, crash in an airplane. You know, I mean, get cancer cells. You know, I mean, it's... But life does... Mother Nature is very mysterious. I do think it's a little like listening to the early Quiet Riot albums. Quiet Riot, they released in 77, the original one. And then Quiet Right 2 and 78, those are pretty good albums. Like I was listening to them just recently and I was really confused as to why they didn't get a record deal in the States off those albums and, and yeah. get better uh, placement or uh, radio rotation or what have you. Those were pretty groundbreaking albums for that era. I, th- I think so. I think, I think especially if you compare it to, um, uh, what's, what's, what's Bay City Rollers, glam rock. Yeah. At the time, right. You know, um, it definitely wasn't metal and it was definitely rock and roll, but you got to remember at the same time, the stuff that was really happening was Journey, REO Speedwagon, Van Halen had the first record in 78. You know, so like all that 78 was, Van Halen? Wow. I didn't know it was that early. Yeah. Time. You know, and that stuff was really slick. And the one thing that Quiet Riot, what I liked about it is that it was more raw, that it sounded more like a band. It didn't have this overall glossy thing about it. And I mean, who knows? You know, they were drawing people and in LA at the time, that's what was required was that you were selling out the Starwood, the Troubadour, the whiskey, and they were doing that. So it's always been a real bizarre mystery to me why they didn't get an American deal with Randy. It makes no sense. Yeah, I, I trip out on that. And then they did that disco song, which is yeah. unbelievable. We cover that in the documentary. Um, yeah. But, you know, I think the, yeah, like you said, the perseverance of Kevin and, and one thing that people don't really grasp at, and we don't get into it too much in the documentary is if you don't make it as a band and that's your life, you're broke. You're yeah. broke. You're, I've been there. You have no money and you are just, you know, barely getting paid for shows. And so, yeah, it's weird they didn't get signed. It's you tough know. to be an adult and be in a band that's not successful. You know, that's always the thing is, you know, you got to get it before you're 23, 24 or else you've just wrecked your life. You know, yeah. it's a horrible, it's a horrible proposition you know, to, to, you know, to really think you're going to be, you know, a rock star when you're that young and then it doesn't happen. You know, I, mean, I got so, really lucky. Says the man who's been in two extremely successful rock bands. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, but I got lucky, you know, I mean, how many, how many people just do that? 
I got you. Uh, Andre, you know, we were supposed to talk once before with your Outlaws and uh, Angels film. Unfortunately, really? that never happened. Yeah, like the, really? just as we were, but the schedule didn't, didn't mesh. Damn. So I'm glad we get to talk about the Randy Rhodes documentary, but like you've made westerns, you've made action films and you've made documentaries. You know, where does the connect, are these just passions of yours of like, Hey, I like this western. I want to work with, you know, Eastwood's daughter and, and Chad Michael McMurray. Hey, there, you know, NWA was one of the greatest rap groups ever that really put gangster rap on the map. Let's talk about them. Randy is one of the greatest guitarists ever. We got to talk about them. Like, where does the music and the, and the passion for traditional film mesh in, you know, from documentary to storytelling? Well, I think that my story as to how I got into being a film producer is behind that. I mean, I was struggling as a musician not having a very lucrative record deal pretty much broke and the the record company that did sign us and we didn't get an advance the owner of that record company was had was producing shows for Fox Sports and I was touring and I didn't have any money and it was impossible to hold a job when you tour cuz you you have to just take off so he said hey man you know, if you want to make some money when you when you're back in LA and you want to be a PA on my TV shows, at least you can make some money that way. And I worked my way up after I was a PA at the which is the bottom of you know that's the bottom of 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 a position in the film business. And then I just slowly worked my way up, and then you know eventually I was offered a partnership in a film company, and I had to leave music. But one thing I committed myself to was the music side. So I launched the music division in 2003, 2004, that was completely committed to music documentary series. So I could still have the, the artistic music side of me while I was simultaneously having a film company that had non-music related projects, but I'm a, I'm a film buff. I love film, always wanted to be involved in it. And it just, if I, but honestly, if I could make music documentaries all day and I can make a living off that, I would do that. But, uh, you know, to, to grow my business, um, I had to do films outside the music side and ended up doing some really cool movies and I will continue to do so. Well, you're doing a great job with the movies. I love the Westerns. I love indie films. Oh, thanks, you worked man. with Dolph Lundgren. Dolph was like one of the nicest guys ever. And you can nice. never say anything bad about the guy. Cause like the guy survived cancer twice. He's got two master's degrees and a drummer and, and a karate expert. Like, you know, what has he not done in this life at this point? He's my favorite. Like I've had a lot of bad experiences with, with certain actors in this industry. You know, I've worked with Steven Seagal. I've worked with Wesley Snipes. I've worked with a lot of difficult characters and Dolph is on the top. He's a good guy. That's awesome to hear. And then you're over in Europe, so you're like 20 minutes away from where he grew up, Tracy. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> a lot yeah. of white people here. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is their continent, you know. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but or, whenever... or broken up continent. Yeah. I'm in the mother. For me, as far as like producing a movie, one of the weirdest experiences was when I just produced a movie called The Last Son with uh, Machine Gun Kelly. And Sam Worthington and Heather Graham. And I had cast, we were originally going to cast Michael Pitt to play the role that Machine Gun Kelly was 
going to play, but he couldn't do it. And so I was trying to think, who's got this interesting character that can play this Billy the Kid type? And I saw Machine Gun Kelly in the dirt. And after I saw him play that role, I said, he can do this. And when I cast him, a lot of people thought it was a mistake because he wasn't much of an actor. He, he hadn't really, he was just, you know, honing his chops. I got him in the movie. By the time we started filming, his album was number one. And when I picked him up at the airport, he was on the phone with Rolling Stones giving an interview about his number one album. That was a trip because I wanted to get in the music side more and talk to him about that. But at the same time, he had to play this Billy the Kid role and it was so strange. So yeah, it is a weird mix. Yeah. I did not expect him to pull off Tommy Lee that well. Like I didn't even recognize it was him. Right. Yeah. So Tracy, who plays you in a biopic then, man? Uh, Let's pitch Andre the next project. Yeah. yeah Woody Allen. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have to say know. like, like working with Tracy has been amazing. Uh, and it was just one of those things where we were looking for a narrator who had, you know, who had respect, who was also a legend in, in the guitar world. And Tracy's name came up right away. And we reached out to him and we were, we made it work. And I'm just so happy to have him involved. He's such a cool guy. Oh, and, thanks, bro. Yeah. And I'm really, really like you said, his voice, you know, I was nervous when we went in and recorded his voice. Cause I'm like, I don't know how he's going to do. And, and he just nailed it. And the passion's there. Good when, subject though, to talk about, you know, and then, you know, I had an awesome voice coach too. You know, got to give credit where credit's due. Yeah. She was cool. Yeah. You know, guys, when you make a documentary like this, again, you know, we have immortalized Randy to the point of almost deifying him. But when we humanize him, what's something that you were really surprised to learn about Randy, the person versus Randy, the guitarist that we knew on stage? I mean, from my side, I would say that I didn't know his backstory and his upbringing of being, you know, his mother owned a music school and he was, you know, he had a strict upbringing and was really taught from an early age and picking up the guitar at six years old. I just, that story I didn't know and that he continued to teach. And that was really interesting for me. Yeah. I mean, I really grew up with Randy, you know, as a guitar player, you know, from whenever Blizzard of Oz came out, I guess I was 16, 15, 16. And so I would just wait for every magazine to come out, you know, to get an interview with him or read something about him. So I always felt, that's the thing about Randy. I always felt like I knew him, even though I didn't know him. And, uh, you know, you see these really kind of angelic pictures of him. And then you'd see him on stage, you know, with his teeth flying and his hair flying and, you know, it's Les Paul or it's Flying V and you listen to the music and he's just like, talk about yin and yang. You know, he was really, you know, both sides, you know, and, and, but to the, but to extremes, you know, I mean, he was so angelic and so loud at the same time. You know, wow. You know, what is it about guys like Randy and like Ronnie James Dio? You know, these weren't, giant men of stature physically you know they didn't look right. like zach wild coming out like he could have just oh. beat somebody up at the bar and then hopped on stage 
you know, Randy right. was like five six, five seven. Dio was yeah. five four in heels, and I, you know, yeah. I got to see Dio perform, and he was just incredible. Like, Massive. yeah, just these tiny little men with these big, powerful sounding either voices or or just amps and guitar licks. Well, I mean, you know, think about it. You know, Chihuahuas also never shut up. You know what I mean? So, you know, sometimes little people, it's like babies have that really high pitched scream to let you know something's wrong. Right. You know, so when you're small, you got to make noise, man. <laughs> you got like, Hey, I'm here. You know, uh, not saying that's the case for either Ronnie or Randy, but it, it is in, in fact, look at Angus Young, you know, all those ACDC guys, they make, they're loud, you know, and one of the things that is in the documentary is, you know, they would set up, you know, to play and almost everywhere they would set up, you know, the owner, would, Hey, you got to turn that down. You know, it's like, like, like it's way too loud, not just loud, but like, Hey, shut up, you know, and why not? It's rock and roll. Absolutely. And we love it, man. And the fact that rock's yeah. still huge in Europe is what really matters to us right now. I mean, those monsters of rock tours are all over the place. Dude, dude, I was just looking at, at a local thing here. There are so many festivals going on right now here. It's unbelievable. And it's all metal bands. You know, we have one here in Copenhagen called Copenhagen. And this year it's like Kiss and King Diamond and like Metallica, like so many huge bands. And it's the most mellow, cool festival, you know, but they get the biggest bands. And since, you know, it's been canceled two years in a row. This one's big. Really, but I'm not going to be here. I'm going to be on tour with LA Guns. So. Next year. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. No, man. <laughs> like, the the only concert I ever regret not going to, it was called the Motorboat Festival. I think it was called, no, it was the Motorboat Cruise. And it was, yeah. it was Motorhead, Slayer, and Anthrax I on a cruise that. ship. Yeah. And it wasn't in my budget to go. And I was like, ah, do I splurge and go or do I wait till next year? And I was like, I'll just wait till next year. And then unfortunately we lost Lemmy like four months later. And I was just I, thinking about like, what would a motorhead or slayer pit look like on the Lido deck of a cruise ship? Right. You know, Can you, imagine? you know, that sort of thing. And it just, it just was like, ah, I should have. It's one of those don't, you know, don't miss an opportunity when you get a chance. Um, yeah, but those cruises are expensive. They're yeah. really expensive, man. Yeah. You, know, you gotta, you gotta know that you're spending a lot of money because it's not just the cost. Yeah. You know, it's the cost plus the cost plus the cost plus the cost. You know, it's like, wow. You know, I've done a few of those and they're, they're, they're pretty fun. You know, Andre, you whittled the documentary down to just a little bit over 90 minutes. And I know with film, you know, you have a narrative and you have the script that you start with and you want to try to have a tight 90 minute film or, you know, 120 minute film, depending on how long you're going for. When you have a legacy that's been built up like this for Randy and it's a documentary, not a biopic, how do you decide what to leave in and what to take out? Because this easily could have been, you know, a seven part docuseries. Well, you know, keeping in mind that the 40th anniversary of his death was last month when we set out to do this i always wanted to release it around that time so i didn't have a you know years and years and years to put into this because 
when I committed to doing it, I had less than a year to get it out in time. So, you know, luckily I was able to uh, locate a documentary uh, that preexisted that Ron Sobel produced that was about Randy Rhodes and the Quiet Riot years that he never really released um, for various reasons. And I was able to license a lot of footage from that. Um, the most challenging part was getting the Aussie, the material on Aussie, anything to do with, it's really hard to find material out there, um, particularly live footage when he was with Aussie. So it just kind of organically worked its way out. It wasn't something where I was like, okay, it's going to be 90 minutes and we got to make it fit. It just, as we started looking through the material and what we could license, it worked its way out. I love it. Listen, gentlemen, I know we're out of time. I could talk to you guys all day because that's how much I love the documentary. And I love talking to the two of you. Randy Rhodes, Reflections of a Guitar Icon. This documentary is going to be everywhere on VOD Friday, May 6th. Yeah, iTunes, Amazon, In Demand, Voodoo, Fandango, all this other stuff. Where can we find you guys on social media if we want to connect with you and the documentary? And then, Tracy, where are you going to be touring? Um, we're, we're going out with Tom Kiefer, uh, June 1st states, 45 shows ends August 1st and LA guns or at Tracy guns. I'm easy to find. Awesome, man. I'm just, I'm going to hit you up on social media so I can find out where the LA show or orange County show is going to be. So I can come check it out. Okay. Right on. And Andre, what about you? I'm not really on social media very much. Uh, I'm kind of a private guy. But if you want to, um, you know, reach out to me, my email is at vmiworldwide.com, vmiworldwide.com. Uh, you can look at my website and you can get my email from there. Perfect. Gentlemen, thank you so much for your time. Congratulations on this documentary. Friday, May 6th, Randy Rhodes, a reflection of a guitar icon is, is coming to us and you guys all have to see this. Thank you. I really appreciate Thanks your time. A lot, today. Man. Thanks. Right on. Thank you, brother.